0: I'm glad they got you loosened up. I've got a couple of, what's that? Oh, no, that's okay. I'll just walk around and preach. It's fine. It's fine. That would be kind of cool. Just kind of move around. You poke those of you who are sleeping. Uh, Since they've got you loosened up, I've got a couple of of movements that I'd like to do during the sermon today. So when you hear me say, no, I'm kidding. I'm not going to. I'm not going to do that. Uh, My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. I have the privilege of opening God's word with you this morning. Go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 12. This will be uh, my final sermon here at Lakeview Church for for the time being. Uh, I counted a privilege to have gotten to open God's word with you over the last Two and a half years, and so I figured since this is my last one, I would just kind of go out with a bang uh, and we're going to talk about one of one of, if not the most abused passages of scripture uh, in the entire New Testament. This passage is loved by many who do not know the Lord, it is loved by many who do know the Lord, and they, they take it in all kinds of directions that Jesus never really intended. And I bet you can finish the first one for me. the uh, First service did a great job. So if you can't, well, I'll let you judge that. Um, here's the first one. Judge not lest you be judged. Boy, you got that one down. Now the world and many misguided Christians love to latch on to this verse and take it as we can live however we want to. Right In every circumstance, no one anywhere has any right to tell me how to live. Don't judge me, or you're going to be judged too. I can live however I want, and you can't say anything about it. And the next part of this passage is a little less catchy, so maybe not as easily memorable, but I bet you've, you've got it too. The first service did great. Again, if you don't, well, it's just... Where you are, I don't know. Uh, so, but I, be, I bet you still know it. So here it is. Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Wow, you guys did a good job. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds. and the one who, To the one who knocks, it will be opened. Now our word of faith, name it and claim it, brothers and sisters, love these verses. Right, like if you want to be happy and you want to be healthy and you want to be wealthy, just ask God, and He'll give it to you. Right, like it's, it's what the it's what the passage says. You just got to ask and say it in faith. Ask in faith. You want that six-figure income? Go ask God expectantly, and it's yours if you have enough faith. You want that big house? Go after it, believing that it's yours, and God will give it to you. Right? You want that dream job? Well, just go knock on your boss's door, expecting that God will tip the scales in your favor, and that job is going to be yours, right? It's what the passage says. Just ask. God's going to give it to you. The only problem with those understandings of this text, you can't say anything about any people and how they live. And God's going to give you whatever it is that you want, the blank check to all the material wealth that you could possibly want. The problem is those things aren't at all what Jesus meant when he said these words. Like it it was the furthest thing from his mind. And so if that's not what Jesus was getting at, then what does he mean here in this passage? I'm glad you're asking. You're asking that, right? I'm I'm glad you're now asking me that question. We've been in a series on the Sermon on the Mount the greatest sermon ever delivered, and Jesus has been unpacking for his followers the concept of a righteousness that exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees, the the professional rule followers of the day, right? And he's been teaching about a righteousness of the heart, one that is required for entering into the kingdom of God. And now with verses uh, 1 through 12 in chapter 7, Jesus turns his attention to the relationships that we have as kingdom people. And not just the relationships that we have in here, but our relationship with each other and our relationship with the world around us and then our relationship with God. And he's going to build a case for using wise discernment, judgment, in each of those relationships. Here's the big question the text is trying to answer. How are kingdom people to relate to one another, to the world and to God. How do we use wise discernment among ourselves as kingdom people? How do we use wise discernment when it comes to the world, and and specifically those who are opposed to the gospel? And how do we use wise discernment? How do we relate to God? So Jesus speaks to each of these relationships with very specific situations in mind, and then he sums it all up by casting a vision for our new life together and invites us into this new way of life, one that if we will embrace it, will radically transform all of our relationships. So let's, pray, or let's, uh, let's read the text together, Matthew 7, 1 through 12. Judge not that you be not judged. Give good things to those who ask him. So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So, according to Jesus here, how are kingdom people to relate to one another, to the world, and to God? Well, first, as we relate to one another, we exercise wise and compassionate discernment in holding one another accountable, but not before we've addressed sin. In our own lives. And sorry, the points that I'm going to give you today are more like paragraphs, but just pretend with me and snap a picture on your phone. You're not going to have time to write them down, probably. But Jesus starts off by saying, Judge not that you be not judged. And we hear that word judge, and we think condemn. We think look upon with scorn. We think be disgusted by these people. And so this seems cut and dry, like we shouldn't do that, right? can shake your head you should you should not do that you shouldn't look at other people with scorn and disgust and hatred because of their actions but Jesus isn't talking about that kind of judgment in fact when he says judge that that word is not even really a bad word it simply means to use wise discernment when thinking about what is right and what is wrong what is good and what is bad And we know that Jesus doesn't think that using wise discernment is wrong all the time. In fact, he's going to come back to it in verse 5 a little bit later. But we see throughout Scripture, there is a case made for we as believers, those who are inside the kingdom community, holding one another accountable in love. One example, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. There is a man who is engaged in rampant and flagrant sin, right? He is unrepentant, okay? He will not turn away from his sinful patterns, and the church is simply ignoring it. The church is putting up with it. The church is like, well, he's just going to do his thing. I don't want to judge not, right? <laughs> uh, so Paul comes along, and he's got to correct them. And here's what he says in 1 Corinthians ch- uh, chapter 5, verse 12. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? Paul says, look, don't call out the world because of their immoral ways. Like, what do you expect from them? They're, they're unbelievers. If they're far from the Lord, why would they adopt the Lord's way of life? That's silly to think that they should. What you should be doing is calling each other to live according to God's way of life. You should be admonishing each other when you see sin running rampant in your church. But we don't just do it like the world does it. We don't come down hard on people. Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual Should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So we should, as kingdom citizens, hold one another accountable, but we do it with gentleness. We don't do like the world. We don't cancel people in the church, right? Like we don't come down hard on people in the church. We don't drag people's name through the mud. In the church, we don't climb up on our high horse and express disgust and humiliate a person within the church. And we don't come at others about sin in their life for the purpose of tearing them down. We come to them with genuine concern about sin in gentleness and for the purpose of restoring them and loving them and calling them to come back to a life giving relationship with the Lord. So if we are supposed to use wise discernment and hold one another accountable. What in the world is Jesus saying when he says, judge not? Well, he tells us in verses 3 through 4 specifically what he has in mind. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? So here's the problem. I see a speck in your eye. Meanwhile, I've got a gigantic log coming out of mine. And rather than stop and notice, hey, buddy. You got some problems going on too. I'm going to be nitpicky with your speck. I'm going to say, hey, let me, let me show you how to get that out. Huh? Can I help you? Come here. Can I help you with that? Right? Meanwhile, you can't clearly see. Verse 4, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own? You can't help them. You can't be useful to them. Jesus is warning against trying to hold one another accountable without being willing to do the hard work in our own hearts of ridding our lives of the sin that exists there. He's cautioning us against speaking to the sin that we see in others without first addressing the glaring sin that certainly exists in our hearts. And if we refuse to address the sin in our own lives, when, when we see sin in our brothers and sisters, we're no good to them. We can't help them. We can't we can't come alongside and say, hey, brother, I, I want to restore you in gentleness, and I see a speck. Can I, can I help you with it? Can we pray about it? Can I, can I lead you back or call you back to a loving relationship with the Lord? No, you've got a thing in your own eye. You're blind, right? If we do this, what Jesus is talking about, we're like the blind leading the blind. So to illustrate this point, I'm going to have Joe come up. She has some guinea pig, I mean, volunteers uh, to help out. I'm just going to get out here, of the I'll way. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. safer that way. How do you
1: lift it? Just lift. It's not heavy, it's just wide. Thanks, Barrett. Oh, yeah. All right, Barrett's not one of my volunteers. She's just my helper. Yeah. But I can't have my volunteers come on up here. <laughs> All right, Shyla. Can you do dot to dots? <laughs> Perfect. Here's your marker. Oh, but there's one catch. Uh, you gotta do it blindfolded here. Yeah, this this will be great. How's that? Okay, ready? Number one is right there. Go for it. Oh yeah, I'll hold that down for you. Oh, it's great. Keep going. Keep going. This is this is fabulous. Yeah, keep going. It's it's you're doing fine. Oh, actually, yeah, you just hit three. Okay, we're we're, we're starting to go a little off track. Oh, would you like someone to help you, Shyla? Yeah. Okay. Addie, do you think you could give her directions? Yeah. Okay. Great. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Okay, Addie, why don't you give Shyla some directions here? Up. Yeah. Mhm. Yeah. Left. This is <laughs> What it, All right, there we go, Mm mm-hmm. Oh, this is looking fantastic. Um, Right. (laughs) Right. We're kind of going the opposite direction of four at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) Left, mm-hmm. You guys seem to be struggling a little (laughs) bit. (laughs) All right, I'll take your marker. Thank you, ladies. Give them a round of applause. There we go.
0: Hey, Joe. I'll take this off. I almost ran into it during the first service. It's bad form to fall off the stage when you're preaching. So uh, you can see from that illustration when you're blind, you're not much help to those around you who can't see very clearly, right? That's what Jesus is warning us against. Don't. Don't be the kind of person that's going to come alongside with a blindfold and be like, oh, yeah, up and to the left. Like, You're not a lot of help, right? You're not very useful to them. If we can't take note a, of and address the log in our own eye, we're no good to our brothers and sisters. But if we're honest, we do have a tendency to want to do that. There's, there's something in us that makes us keenly aware of the sin in other people's lives while not being very aware at all of our own sin. We like in the Christian world to call them blind spots because it sounds better if I can't really see it. But they're not good. They're problems, right? We need to address them. We suppose that we can help when in reality we can't see. And to combat this tendency toward this unhelpful kind of judgment, this unhelpful discernment, Jesus gives a reminder. The measure to... W- the me- the Boy, that was a bad one. The same measure we use... To judge others is the measure by which we will be judged. Now, measure is a, is a term that was used in the marketplace in the first century. You'd go to the market... There would be scales and different containers and things like that so that you knew if you went and purchased a whatever of this kind of grain, it was going to be fair and equitable. And whatever so-and-so got is the same amount you were going to get for the same amount of money. A modern-day equivalent, when you go to the gas station, what do you buy? You buy gas by the gallon. And a gallon for Tom is a gallon for Sue is a gallon for Bill is a gallon for Mary, right? The price is the same. It's a gallon all the way across the board. Now, you might pay $197 for that gallon of gas, but the point is it's a gallon consistently across the board. That's what Jesus is saying here. The measure that you use to judge those around you is the same measure to which you are going to be held. That's the same standard for you, and so we, we need to be careful. Instead of judging wrongly, we are to employ wise discernment. We must first allow the word of God to speak to our own lives rather than using scripture as a magnifying glass on the lives of those around us. We use it first as a mirror to take stock, really take stock of what's going on in here to really say, OK, what's going on in, in my heart? And when we notice sin and we want to approach a brother or sister about particular sin, slowing down and saying, oh, wait a second. Is there anything in here first? Anything in here I need to address? Anything in here I need to bring to the Lord before We do that, and if we will do that, then we can come to our brothers and sisters in a way that is actually helpful, in a way that helps them to connect the dots, in a way that helps them to actually find life in our correction. Next, Jesus speaks to how his new kingdom people are to relate to those outside of the kingdom community, and specifically he has in mind those who are adamantly opposed to the gospel, those who are adamantly opposed to the king and to his new kingdom. And as we relate to those who are opposed to the gospel, we share gospel truth and our hope in Christ, but not before they're ready to hear it from us. Here's how Jesus says it. Verse 6, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now this verse seems harsh and I've heard it used in the context of giving advice, right? Like you hear a friend telling a story. Well, I, I told him what I would do in this situation, but you know, don't throw your pearls before swine. Huh? That's not what Jesus is talking about, right? Like, holy things here that Jesus is talking about is not talking about your personal advice. Like, pearls are not your, your opinion or like how you would handle a situation. When Jesus says holy things and pearls, he's talking about gospel truth. He's talking about the ways of the kingdom that he has been expounding over the last couple of chapters in the book of Matthew. And when Jesus uses pigs and dogs as an illustration, that's not a very gentle way of talking, right? Like he doesn't have in mind the, a dog and a pig that you might find a, along the w- southern Wisconsin countryside. Oh, look at that dog laying in front of the farm over there. Isn't that cute? No, he has in mind wild dogs that travel in packs that are very, very dangerous to you should you come upon them. He has in mind wild boars that if you get too close and mess with them, what's going to happen? Nobody even wants to guess. Yeah, it's that. It's bad, right? They're gonna, you're going to get the tusks. That's what Jesus has in mind. He, he's not just saying that people outside of the kingdom are dogs and pigs. What he's saying is that those who are unwilling and hardened and violent and vicious toward the gospel, you have to approach them carefully. Don't just roll up to them and throw out the gospel at them, right? Like, don't just show up and be like, hey, you need to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Bye, buddy. Turn around and walk off. Right? It's not going to turn out well for you. Why? Because they don't know and can't see that you're actually there to help. And sometimes we're really not even motivated to help. We just want to convince them that we're right and they're wrong. So what Jesus is saying here, though, is that first, we've got some work to do before we can throw out the gospel. When when I was a kid, I was in my backyard one day, and we had a little fenced-in area around our air conditioner to keep our dog out. And in between the fence and the air conditioner, kind of like wedged in there real good, was a baby possum. And I walked up to this baby possum, and I thought, oh, he's so cute, so fuzzy, right, like real tiny. I'm just going to help you out, little guy, because you're stuck. Like, you're not getting out of this, right? Like, let me help you through. So I bend down, and I get real close, and he goes, right? He shows me his teeth. He becomes real vicious. Why was he vicious? Because he doesn't know I'm there to help. He thinks I want to eat him. He thinks he got caught in my trap, and now it's lunchtime, right? Took some gloves, tried to get him out with that. Now he's just gnawing all over the gloves. I was like, fine, you can stay there if you want to. He did not meet a good end. Uh, anyway, um, but he didn't know that I was there to help. And Jesus is saying that's how it is with those who are violently opposed to the gospel. They can't understand, they can't know that we're actually there to help. And so when we come up and we share the gospel with them, we can share the best gospel presentation ever we can make the best case for why a Judeo-Christian worldview and ethic is the correct one. We can give them all the reasons of why they need to change the way that they're living, and they're not going to hear a single word of it because they think you are just a nagging threat. So we have to take a little bit of a different angle, and I want to be clear. There are some who are outside of the kingdom community of God, and they're just not here yet. Right? like There are some who genuinely are seeking answers. There are some who have recognized, boy, this, this in here is messed up, the world out there is messed up, and I need some serious, real answers that are much bigger than me and much bigger than politicians and much bigger than people around me and much bigger than the current worldview. I need something bigger, and so they're searching and they're looking. That's not the people God has in mind here. He has in mind those who are violently opposed to the gospel, and we take a different angle with them. The angle that we take with them is love. We love them, and we love them genuinely, not with a, a, an agenda in mind, not with an end goal in mind, like, hey, I'm going to be nice to this person until they believe the gospel, then I'm boop, on down the street to the next friend, right? That's not what Jesus has in mind. What, what we have to do with those people is to love them simply because they're human beings made in the image of God. We love them just because they're people, and we're people too, and people kind of need each other. It looks like inviting them over for dinner. It looks like inviting them over for a bonfire on a warm June evening. Oh, this! I don't know if this is actually going to be one. It's kind of chilly outside. It looks like having them over on a lazy Saturday morning and drinking coffee with them while the kids play in the yard and just getting to know them. It looks like really investing, making a, an investment of love in a relationship with them. It means just being their friend so that we earn the right to speak so that they know that we're not a nagging threat, but we are instead for them. And we actually have their best interest in mind. And we actually serve a God who loves us and a God who loves them. And then once the wall is broken down, once we have the credibility, then we can go to them and share the gospel with them. But we don't do it before that. Doing it before that is like throwing holy things to a dog or throwing pearls to a pig or trying to rescue a baby possum. It's not going to work out well for you. But if we make that investment, that investment of time, that investment of love, then they will understand that we truly do love them and care for them. Finally, so we've talked about how we as kingdom citizens use wise discernment among ourselves. We check out the sin in our own hearts before we bring up the sin that we see in someone else. Wise discernment among how we interact with the world, how we relate with the world. That we, we're slow with the gospel, right? Like we don't just throw it at people, we invest in love with them first and then we can share the gospel. And then when it relates to God, we use wise discernment in that, in that regard as we remember that God is our good and loving Father. Look at verse seven with me. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? This is, again, one of those passages that has been ripped out of its context and made to say something that it never really meant in the first place. The point of these verses, though, is not what we can get from God. Jesus is not trying to say, haha, look at all this stuff you can get. If you just ask God the right way, he'll give you everything you could ever want. Boy, look, it just says just ask. That's all you got to do. The point of this passage is not what we can get from God, but, for, but who God is to us and for us. The point of this passage is that God is a good and loving father who has our best interest in mind. He's a kind and gentle dad who bids us to come to him. And he bids us to come to him, especially when we're wondering how to approach a brother or sister that we see in sin. All right, there's a reason that this is here with the rest of this context. He, he's, he's with us, especially when we notice, oh my goodness, I've got this giant log in my eye. I need to address it. I need to deal with it. God, I, I need you to fix this. I need you to get it out of here. He's with us especially when we encounter someone who is adamantly opposed to the gospel, but we love them dearly and we want them to trust Jesus because we want them to have life in him. He's with us in those moments to help us exercise wise discernment. When we feel helpless and hopeless, when we come face to face with our own frailty and need, God says, come to me. And Jesus intentionally uses really simple words here, ask, seek, knock, It's really that easy. It's like asking a question or knocking on a door. And we can approach the Lord with confidence that we won't be met with indifference, indifference. but instead we'll be greeted by a dad who is happy to call us his children, one who will come running to us and who will answer our every question and every request, not necessarily in the way that we want him to answer our questions or our requests, but in the way that he knows is best and right and good for us. Because he loves us. Jesus goes on to explain it like this. <clears throat> he gives that illustration. Uh, let's see, where's it at? Verse 9, I don't have it in my notes. Uh, Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? You're sinful, right? I'm sinful. We've all got brokenness inside of our hearts, yet we have this natural ability to love our children, to care for our children, to give our children what they need, and we like to give our kids good gifts. God says, "If you can do that, how much how much better at that than how much better at that am I?" I love to. Um, I've got three kids, you guys know, uh, and I love to to pick on them, and I shouldn't, uh, but it is just something that I do. Uh, my kids, they, they love chocolate milk, and <laughs> this is going to get bad. I'm sorry. Uh, they love chocolate milk, and I give them Ovaltine, though, so I feel better as a person for not just filling them up with sugar all the time. Anyway, so they like chocolate milk, and they'll come up and they'll say, Dad, can I have some chocolate milk? And I'll go into the kitchen, and I'll come out, and they say, is my chocolate milk ready? Because they like it warmed up, and yada, yada, yada. So I hand them a cup, and I say, sorry, we were out of chocolate milk but I do have this cup of dirty water for you. And they are like really upset with me. And I may or may not sometimes uh, suggest that I use some ingredients from our dog to make it that color. Um, And so, yeah, I'll let you use your imagination on that. And I come here. here's the milk, or here's the dirty water. You want this, right? Yummy. I would never do that. I would never actually do it. I enjoy picking on them about it, but I'd never actually do it. Nor would I give them a stone if they ask for a piece of bread nor would I give them a serpent if they ask for a fish. God says, if you know how to give your kids good things, how much better am I at giving good things? right? Like, How much more can you expect kindness and gentleness and love and for me to meet your every single need? We are flawed and imperfect, but God is perfect, and he is holy, and he loves us not imperfectly, but perfectly. And, as citizens of God's kingdom, we must make sure that we relate to God, not as the the sovereign bookkeeper who's keeping a record of all your wrongs so that he can get you for him in the end, and he's not the tyrant up in the sky who's just looking to exercise his vengeance on you when the time is right right like he's and he's this one may be especially uh, uh appropriate for us in this room he he's not the the, the dad who, no matter you doing your best your entire life and trying your hardest, who is never really pleased with you. The one who, perfect, is really never good enough. right? Like He's a good and loving father who desires us to come to him despite all of our failings. And he supplies our every need. He has only our good in mind. And he wants us, he wants us to be filled with joy in him and to be totally satisfied with him. As kingdom citizens, God is our good and loving Father, and we need only to ask and seek and knock. He is right there for us. And as an exclamation point on this whole passage, this whole thing about wise discernment in our relationships with each other, wise discernment in our relationships with those who are opposed to the gospel, and wise discernment in our relationship with God and how we relate to him, Jesus puts an exclamation point on this passage, verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. This has been called the golden rule, but I really like uh, what Andy had in his notes on this passage. Uh, He calls it not necessarily a rule, but a vision. So I stole it from him, and I'm going to preach it right now. So thank you, Andy, wherever you're at. Appreciate it. It's less of a rule and more of a vision for a new way of living among a new kingdom people with a new kind of king. This is Jesus' invitation to each one of us to step into a new way of living, a new way of loving, a new way of relating with each other, with the world, and with him. A way of living marked by gentleness and humility among us. A way marked by serious self-examination and taking seriously sin in our own lives first. A way of loving where we hold one another accountable, but with gentleness and for the purpose of building up and restoring and reconciling rather than tearing down and humiliating a way of living where we show the world around us the love of God not just talk at them about the love of God but where we really do love them as people and a way of living that holds fast to the truth that God is a good good father He wants to be there for us. He wants to meet our needs. He wants us to be full of joy in him. And so today, I want us as a congregation to hear Jesus' invitation. Will we step into this new kind of life as part of a new kingdom with a new king? If we hear this and the, the spirit is stirring in our hearts, Jesus, again, would call us back, I think, to the very simple commands, ask, seek, knock, for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will certainly be opened. Let's pray. Father, you are good to us. You have showed us nothing but perfect love. Help us as imperfect people who have now been invited and included in your kingdom. Help us as we seek to Rid our own lives of sin as we seek to help one another live lives that are full and life-giving by the power of your spirit and to address sin where we see it around us, but to do so in a way that is uplifting, that leads to restoration. Help us as we relate to a world that is seemingly more opposed to the good news every single day. Help us to show your love before we venture to speak it at people and help us to remember through all of this that you are a good father that loves us, that wants to provide for us that wants to fill us with your joy you're not the genie in the sky who's going to answer our every material request but you are the one who has our best interest in mind every single time help us to trust you and to love you and to love one another and this world well